It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We have a lot of stuff coming up on today's program. Lots of big news, including the president's appearance in Kenosha at 2 o'clock this afternoon. We will discuss what he will be talking about coming up in just a couple minutes. We start off the program today like we start off every program. I call it three big things, things you need to know about to discuss at the water cooler or in the gym or at lunch hour or, or whatever. Big thing number one, Ted Nugent, too controversial for Wausau, and there is a question mark in that. Ted Nugent, Ted Nugent um, they call him the Motor City Madman. Of course, he's been playing tunes since the 1970s, Cat Scratch Fever, probably his most famous one. He is a rarity in the world of entertainment. Ted Nugent is a conservative, and because he is a conservative, he is a target of people on the left. He is also an outspoken conservative, and I will be the first to acknowledge that from time to time, I think I think he does some stuff which is tongue-in-cheek, but Ted Nugent, yeah, I think he pushes the envelope, and some people find some of the things that he says about politics to be offensive. But, of course, the only reason that is a story is because he is a conservative. You have Hollywood entertainers and you have musicians who regularly say things that people on the right find offensive, but that never becomes a story because, well, that's just what you expect when you're talking about the Hollywood elite or the entertainment elite, where 95% of them probably are big-time lefties. So here's the background of the story. Ted Nugent has been booked this summer to play the Wisconsin Valley Fair. That is in um, in the, the Wausau area, Wisconsin Valley Fair. And, you know, he was booked, and they announced uh, his uh, his booking a couple weeks ago. And the the idea, the way the fair organizers say is they say, well, and we understand he's a little bit controversial, I mean, in some circles, but he puts on a really good show, and people buy tickets to see Ted Nugent. All right? And that, at the end of the day, if you're a promoter, whether you're promoting and booking acts for a state fair or Summerfest or the Riverside Theater – at the end of the day, isn't that what you want? Somebody that is going to sell tickets. So they say, hey, Ted Nugent puts on a really good show. I mean, he's played in Wisconsin before. Before He actually played at this fair about 10 years ago in 2007. So they, they book him. All right? Well, into the fray comes the chairman of the Marathon County. That's where Wausau is. Democratic Party. Um, chairwoman of the Marathon County Democratic Party, who becomes just completely unhinged about this, saying that if the fair does not rescind the booking for Ted Nugent, she is going to call for a boycott of the fair. And apparently what's already happened is there's this organized effort that's going on from some of the lefties up in Wausau. Um, Fair organizers say they have been fielding angry calls and posts on social media calling into question their decision to do this. Um, As a result of this, um, the fair administrator says that she and board members were getting all these calls, so they're going to have a a meeting on Monday to decide whether or not they're going to continue to book Ted Nugent. She says, well, we didn't expect the response to be that bad. Well, okay, to which I would say, all right, you know he is controversial. Um, The response, it, it is, of course, an organized effort by the hardcore lefties up in the area who are offended that anybody conservative might be appearing. We didn't expect the response to be that bad. We want to create a good family event for everyone. So now they're going to be considering next week as to whether to go ahead with the the booking. I was looking um, at the Wisconsin State Fair. 
Um, one of the performers is John Mellencamp. I like John Mellencamp. John Mellencamp is an unapologetic, hardcore, extreme lefty. He makes no bones about his different opinions. Um, he has been, you know, outspoken rally rallies, you know, for Barack Obama and things like that. Comes out with some controversial music, you know, again, politically motivated. I don't hear any conservatives arguing that John Mellencamp shouldn't play the Wisconsin State Fair. Um, it seems to me you either go to the fair, if there's a performer that's performing, you go and you listen, or if you don't want to go, you don't go. But that's not how it works among the left in Wausau. We can't even have Ted Nugent at the fair, and if they have Ted Nugent at the fair, we're going to try to organize a boycott. All right, let's open up the lines. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How should the... Wisconsin Valley Fair respond to threats of boycotts and protests. Should they say, okay, Ted Nugent, too controversial, we're not going to have him. Or should they say, hey, this is entertainment, you don't want to buy tickets, don't buy tickets, otherwise get off our back. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, you, you wouldn't think that this would be a time of political profiles and courage, But I will tell you this, if the Wisconsin Valley Fair, in the wake of some of these whiny complaints, backs off on booking Ted Nugent, it will be an incredible, an incredible shame. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think we discuss next? If you're on the line, please hold on. 841, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, if you're just tuning in, that's Ted Nugent. Controversial, largely because he, he is a conservative. He's on the NRA board of directors. And, and I will admit that, that he has said some things that are kind of out there. All right? But he, he's an unmitigated conservative. There are all sorts of lefty entertainers who say all sorts of wild things as well, with no consequences. Anyhow, Nugent is booked to play the Wisconsin Valley Fair, which is the Wausau area, on August 4th. They announce this, and the head of the Democratic Party up there goes ballistic. Oh, this is hateful. He's terrible. We demand that the fair cancel the booking, um, or else we're going to urge a boycott of the fair. We're going to protest this. Apparently, the people on the fair board are being bombarded by these these astroturf you know, calls from people. Oh, this is awful. They're going to meet Monday night to decide whether to cancel the Ted Nugent show. I think it would be appalling if they do. Amy in Wauwatosa. Amy, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I think it's ridiculous. I agree with what you said 100%. I'm not a Ted Nugent fan. Yeah. I don't own a gun. But if people start boycotting concerts because of their political uh, affiliations, that's what's next. It's ridiculous. Well, well right. If you don't, if you don't want to go to a show because you don't, yeah, don't, right, right, don't, don't, don't buy the ticket. I mean, that's, I mean, I, that's why I was looking. Okay, I'm I'm a John Mellencamp fan. I don't like his politics at all, but I mean, I, he puts I, on a I good show. Well. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> not like going to call Kathleen O'Leary and start no. a campaign on this radio station to. Okay, he's too controversial politically. You've got to, you know, we we're going to threaten a boycott. That would be dumb, and that's exactly it's, what they're doing ridiculous. up in Wausau. Yeah, yeah. And, don't. And who knew Wausau had that many? You know. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and I, see, and I'd be curious. What I would be curious, Amy, is whether. 
like the fair organizers saying they're being bombarded on social media with, with complaints, I actually wonder how many are coming from the Wausau area. You know what I'm saying? Or whether this right, is just exactly. one of these like national things. Thanks. But, but again, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. If, if you don't want to go, don't go. I will tell you this. I'm getting a number of uh, messages on our text line. If Wausau has a backbone, they go ahead with Nugent. They probably would have the biggest concert ever. Yeah, my guess is that um, <laughs> my guess is that this controversy. There's a lot of people who might be so-so on Ted Nugent who are going to say, you know what? I'm not going to let a handful of angry lefties push me around. I'm going to buy tickets. My guess is this might be the best-selling event of the fair if they don't back away from this. 414-799-1620. Doug in St. Francis. Doug, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning. I'm with your last caller as well. I think it'd be ridiculous to acquiesce to the Democrats. Look at the state of Wisconsin. We have the governorship, the Senate, the state, assembly. We can't let those people drive our freedom of speech. And Ted Nugent is iconic. Yeah. I mean, he fits in up there. He's a hunting and fishing kind of guy. <laughs> right. And that, that's what I like. Right, right. You know, and, and it's head banging, old style rock and roll. It is the perfect sort of thing for you know an August fourth night at the Wisconsin Valley Fair. And again, if you don't like his politics, God bless you. Don't go. <laughs> and the publicity is selling more tickets as we speak. I, well, thank, thanks. I mean, I will tell you, it's funny, Doug. If if I if I had plans to be around Wausau on August fourth, I would buy these tickets. Um, okay, on our text line, sweaty Uncle Teddy is one of the best performers out there. He puts on one heck of a show, right? Which is why, which is why you go to the these shows. Everybody knows I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan. Jimmy Buffett is a huge lefty. All right, but but I still I like. I like the music. I'm not organizing these protests. But it's so interesting to me that you have some people on the left. Now, in the entertainment community, just like in the mainstream media, it is dominated by the left. I mean, if you know, you want to talk about an endangered species, try to find a, try to find a conservative in the, the popular music world or in the you know, entertainment world. And if you happen to find one, the very idea that that person could make a movie or that that person could be doing a show, that is such a threat to people like the woman that runs the chairwoman of the Marathon County Democratic Party that they just decide that they have to stifle it. First Amendment, well, I mean, First Amendment applies to government sort of thing, but this idea that, oh, it's just so horrible, we can't have a guy like Ted Nugent even appear because it's going to be just so divisive, it's not going to be keeping with the family theme of the fair. Well, okay, like I say, if you don't want to go to the fair that night and see the show, don't see the show. Let's talk to um, Byron in Milwaukee. Byron, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. I couldn't I couldn't agree more with the last two callers. Um, I think, you know, let people vote with their dollar. I mean, he's sure. got those seats, and that's what they're looking to do. I mean, aren't they wanting to make money for the county? Yeah. Now, do you think it's going to be a success? If, if they go ahead and continue the booking, do you think it's going to sell a lot of tickets? I do. I mean, I personally don't like Ted Nugent, but I think he's a phenomenal, you know, performer, and I think he'll fill he'll fill the seat. Oh yeah, and, and and if anything, this controversy, perhaps, like I say, my guess is there's probably a lot of people up in Wausau who might have been on the fence about this, but they're now going, wait a second, I I, I don't want to have a handful of crazy lefties push me around. I'll go I'll go to the show if nothing else, just to stand up for the the rights of people to actually book conservative musicians if you happen to find one somewhere. Exactly. No, thanks. For that. It, I mean, and again, to me, to me, that is that is the ultimate key to all this. But I, the, the big aspect of the story, it, it is beyond it's beyond Ted Nugent. It, it's this idea that we can't we, we can't have 
this this counter position. You can be a screaming lefty. You can say whatever you want about President Bush and the war in Iraq. You can say whatever you want about President Trump, and, and that's fine. You can denounce Republicans as being Nazis or hate mongers or whatever, and, and that's okay. We're going to be embracing. But then you have a guy like Ted Nugent, and I'll be the first to acknowledge, like I say, he's out there with some of the stuff that, that he says, and I think some of the stuff he says, he, he just kind of does it to generate a, attention to himself. But regardless, all right, when, when a Ted Nugent comes, well, then it's this huge controversy. Then we have to boycott him. Man, I mean <laughs> – this is what we're doing in 2017. We're talking about boycotts from the left. Greg and Fond du Lac. Greg, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Okay, is Ted Nugent too controversial for Wausau? I, I think he should be able to play wherever the devil he wants. <laughs> but uh, my opinion is if they cancel him, maybe all the other people ought to boycott the fair. Well, I mean... I, I don't like to talk about boycotts and stuff, but there is a question of counter-protest. And, and unfortunately, I'm, look, I'm sure these fair organizers, they're not used to getting phone calls. They're not used to seeing stuff on social media. So they, they overreact when you get some of these astroturf efforts to pressure them. Um, my guess, Greg, is there's all sorts of people in Wausau who would respond exactly the same way. And I'm, I'm just hoping they stand up and do the right thing and say, look, the, the fair is about entertainment. We think it's going to be a successful show. He puts on a heck of a show. Come out and enjoy it, or don't, but get off our back. And yeah, Mind your own business. Well, e- exactly. Th- thanks for the vote with your wallet. I mean, exactly. Vote vote with your wallet. I, again, I'm not calling up Kathleen O'Leary and saying, hey, you know, John Mellencamp is this huge lefty. How can you have him on the state fair stage? You know, may- maybe that's inconsistent with family values. Have you heard some of the things that he said? Oh, no, I mean, okay, he's an entertainer. Go listen to the show. If you like the songs, you like the songs, buy the tickets. If not, don't. I mean, my goodness. Andrew in Milwaukee. Andrew, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Andrew. Hello. Hi, Andrew. Yes. Good morning. How are you? Um, I guess my comment is, and I, I, I obviously come from the position as an attorney who's worked with uh, high-level entertainers, I'd be looking at suing them for tortious interference with contract. Mm-hmm. I think they're using their position on the, on the city government what are they, aldermen or somebody? That well, they're, they're the fair board. They're uh, fair boards. I don't know if they're appointed or how you get on that, but it's like the, the fair board for Mer- the middle Wisconsin Valley, the Wisconsin Valley Fair. But yeah, they're, they're public officials in a way, sure. Yeah. But they're, they're uh, charged with making the fair profitable. Right. And bringing entertainment that is going to bring people to the fair to continue the mission of the fair, which is to spend money. <laughs> and I know that Ted Nugent sells very well in those areas. Uh, sure. The, 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 the bow hunters, conservatives, uh, some liberals. He plays at a lot of fairs in Wisconsin, yep. and uh, he is a draw. Yeah. So you're, you're interfering with his contract. You still have something called tortious interference right. of contract, and if people are going to go off and, and push their ideology and, and say whatever they want, they have to be put into check. Then. Well, well, exactly, uh, and and, uh, and if you, you know, you raise an interesting point too. The even more direct thing. Is I mean I would assume that I would assume that there is a contract. I, I don't. I would also assume that the the fair that there's all sorts of consequences if they just decide to unilaterally cancel the contract because hey we got a couple protests probably going to cost the fair a bunch of money because it would seem to me that Nugent would have a claim against the fair. Yeah, he's going to say I've booked August fourth. I yeah. booked my whole 
schedule around this, and now I've got nowhere to play August 4th. Right, exactly. Pay me money. No, thanks. Just on so many levels. But again, the, the, the bigger point is, how insulting is this for, I don't know, a small, a relatively small handful of lefties to decide, all right, this is, he's too controversial to play. All right, it's not in keeping with family values affair. Nuts to that. If you don't want to go, don't go. All right, here's an interesting perspective on our text line. Good morning. It's Kevin from Belgium. I want to say I love Ted Nugent. My 16-year-old son just recently went through childhood cancer uh, treatment to be, childhood cancer to be exact, um, lost all the bones in his left leg, and a prosthesis was then, prosthesis was then made to put inside his leg. Ted paid for my son and I to come down to Michigan to go hunting for large hogs at his place. He was nothing but nice, courteous, and respectful. My son will never forget the weekend we spent. It made a big impression. Okay, so to this lady up in Marathon County who's decided Ted Nugent doesn't have the right family values, all right, maybe she should talk to Kevin in Belgium who was, I guess, he and his son, a recipient of you know Ted Nugent who I think – is displaying family values in a way that perhaps the chairwoman of the Wausau, the Marathon County Democratic Party, could not understand. It's 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. After after a contestant on Survivor was outed as transgender on the show, many are questioning if this crossed the line. Should anything be off limits for contestants on a reality show? Steve Scafidi says, participate at your own peril. He will explain why later today at 1235 Be sure to check that out. Coming up in, oh, about 10 or 11 minutes, it's your next chance to follow the Brewers. We do this every morning around 9.09, 9.10, right after the 9 o'clock news. Your chance, if you are the correct caller, you will win a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Cardinals in the series this weekend, and you will be automatically entered on Friday. We take our five daily winners and uh, draw one name randomly, and they will be sent. uh, We're sending them uh, early August to Minnesota to see the uh, Brewers play the Twins. So that is coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Big thing number two, Donald Trump is here, will be in Kenosha at 2 o'clock. He's going to be promoting executive orders that are described as buy American, hire American. The folks at Manpower might want to pay attention to what the president is doing. We will talk about that all next. It's 859, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number two, and this is, um, it has surprised a lot of people. In the United States, our elections are politicians serve for designated terms and there there is an election schedule i mean the election the election for presidents they're going to be the first tuesday in november every four years right so the the dates are are set in stone and people serve designated terms unless there's an effort to do a recall or something like that in great britain it's it's different great britain does not the, the voters do not directly elect the prime minister, for example. What happens is you have various political parties, and the parties, you know, candidates run for seats, like for, for Congress would be like the equivalent of that. And then what happens is the political party that has the most seats, they are charged with putting together a government. Now, sometimes if the, the conservative party, if the Tories... If they've got a majority of the seats, well, okay, they just all pick one of their own. They vote for that person. That person becomes the prime minister. Sometimes they have to do a combination government. Sometimes, because there's multiple political parties, 
um, you'll have, like, say, the Conservative Party has more seats, but just a plurality. So they have to cut deals with one of the other smaller parties to get the votes. So that, But that's how it works. You don't directly elect the prime minister. In addition, the terms are not necessarily set. The way it works in Great Britain is that a prime minister, um, there has to be elections every five years and one month. Okay, so that is the maximum term that a prime minister can serve. However, prime ministers have the authority to schedule elections earlier. Now, they need, you need permission, you need like a supermajority of the members of, of parliament, um, but you, you can have, you, you, you can have been in office for two years, and you can say, all right, maybe I'm afraid I'm losing confidence or whatever, the voters or whatever, we're going to dissolve the government, and if you get enough as long as you have the support of a, a supermajority of people in Parliament, you can have an election. Right? Well, um, the new British Prime Minister is a woman named Theresa May. You will remember that last summer there was the huge controversy over Brexit, which is the, the Great Britain exiting the European Union. The former Prime Minister, who was a conservative, David Cameron, he opposed he opposed the, the efforts to leave the European Union. He fought Brexit. He lost. And so what he said is, okay, look, this is the will of the voters. The voters want us out of the European Union. I did not support this. I do not think that I am the right person to lead the transition since I didn't support it. So he stepped down as prime minister. And the Conservative Party, which um, has a, a relatively narrow majority right now, they then elected Theresa May to be the prime minister. All right, Theresa May announced today that even though her term, if she wanted, she could serve until 2020. There's another like three years left on the term before she would have to call an election. She announced this morning that she is going to call an election. Um, there's enough votes in Parliament to support this. So in early May, Parliament will be dissolved. And then in early June, there will be an election. So all the members of parliament, all the ministers of parliament, all the members of parliament, they will be up for election. And so you will get a completely new parliament, you know, in early June. Now, the political reason why she is doing this is um, her main opponent, the, the Labor Party head, um, is, is extremely unpopular. And a lot of the political calculation is by having an early election, the conservatives will pick up a lot more seats than they have now, so she will be in a stronger position to like lead the 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 Brexit thing to get England out of the Great Britain out of the European Union. So there's a political calculation to this. I think that she thinks that you know we're we our party is going to win a lot more seats, so I'll be a lot stronger. But this kind of stunned a lot of people. She said, "Look, I, we've got this Brexit thing coming up, and, and right now." We have a narrow majority, but in order to try to do this, I've got to do all these cutting deals and things like this. I just want an election. We're going to run on this, and I'm going to say, hey, look, you need to elect members of my party. You need to elect more conservatives because we have to do this, and I need support. I don't want to be fought on all these different levels. So um, once Parliament signs off on this, and apparently they will, um, there is going to be an election in early June. The other amazing thing and interesting thing about the British system is – they will dissolve Parliament in May, May 
8th, I think, is the date for that. It could be slightly off. And then on June 4th or so, there's going to be an election. So, you know, you, you have, you, you don't have two years of campaigning. You have a month of really, really intense campaigning, and then you're going to have a new parliament. And presuming that the conservatives win and have a majority, like I think people think they will, if she is then reelected by the conservatives, she can serve for another five years. But that's big story number two, and that's what's really going on behind it. You might wonder, well, she's got another three years on her term. Why would she call an early election? Well, she's calling an early election because she thinks now is politically the time to do it. She thinks her party will pick up a whole bunch of seats, and it will make it easier for her, again, to make this transition out of the European Union. That's the political calculation. As we have seen in the United States, though, Sometimes the conventional wisdom when it comes to politics doesn't always play out, but we'll see. That's big story number two, um, early elections, um, early elections in Great Britain. All right, coming up next, Donald Trump is coming to Kenosha to tout executive orders that will make it easier, theoretically, to buy American and hire American. We will discuss. It's 918, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How did he become the only governor in American history to win a recall election? What was it like to go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump on a presidential debate platform? What does he think about President Trump's appearance in Kenosha today? Governor Scott Walker will sit down with me. It is tomorrow night, and you can still be there to see it. Just a couple tickets remain. Insight 2017. It is at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee tomorrow night. Time is running out. A number of people are saying, are there still tickets available? Well, there's a handful of them. Um, check it out. I want to see you in person. Head to WTMJ.com. Buy your tickets now. We have an absolutely great lineup. I am very much looking forward to that. So check it out. All right. Big story number three. President Trump is coming to Kenosha. Um, we will carry his speech live at 2 o'clock this afternoon. That's when it's scheduled. Um, this appearance is getting a ton of national attention because what they anticipate is going to happen is that President Trump will sign what they call the Buy American, Hire American Executive Order, according to officials. Um, what he's doing is he's taking immigration policy and combining it with federal procurement regulations. And um, what he's doing is using these executive orders to try to promote some form of what they call economic nationalism. Okay, here's the deal. Right now, there is a visa program. It's the H-1B visa program, and it allows 85,000 foreign workers into the United States each year to take specific high-skilled jobs with U.S. companies. The program is popular with the information technology industry. All right, but... The way it is working, and you can perhaps look at what's going on locally with what manpower has been trying to do, um, the concern is that what's happening, this is designed as a program to allow the U.S. US companies who have specific high-skill needs, and they're really, they can't fill the skill needs with people in the U.S., so the program is says, okay, we're going to give you visas so you can find you can find somebody in Germany who is like some super computer brainiac, and you can bring them in to fill a role. All right, so that that's how it, it works. The problem is, in practice, what has happened is a lot of of companies are using these visas to import foreigners, mostly from India. 
um, who don't have any particular unique skills. They're not more skilled than American workers, but what they are is they're willing to come in from India and they're willing to work for less. And then, you know, what happens is the companies, okay, who get these visas, they make arrangements to bring these workers in a lot of times from India. And this is what's going on candidly right now with manpower. And then what they say is it's not that they have a special training that the U.S. workers don't have, but instead, again, they're willing to work cheaper. And then to add insult to injury, you bring these people in on visas and you tell the U.S. workers, you're, you're going to, number one, you're going to lose your job. And number two, you are going to have to train <laughs> the, the people that we're bringing in from India who are supposedly these technological wizards. You're going to have to train them to do your job. And then a lot of times what happens is then the people get sent back to India, um, so the whole thing gets outsourced. Well, what they're going to do with this order is it's going to tighten tighten the types of people who can get these these visas. And they're going to take a hard look at, again, who is coming in and, and whether it's really, you know, people who have technological expertise or whether this is really just a sham that's being used to bring in people who don't have any special skills but are simply willing to work cheaper than Americans. All right, 414-799-1620. Um, what President Trump is trying to do is say, all right, we're going to take another look at this this visa program, and we're not going to eliminate it, but we are going to make sure that what's going to happen is that this really is designed to make sure that the visas are going to the the most skilled um, applicants or the highest paid applicants, the people that really have expertise, as opposed to just a way to replace American workers with people who really have the same skill levels but are willing to work for less. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think think this is long overdue. I appreciate that you need a visa program to allow companies to be able to reach out and say, hey, we've got these special special needs, and we've got special skills, and there's a bunch of people in Germany who just have a a great, or, or wherever, you know, there's a bunch, but let's say Germany. We got a bunch of people in Germany who have this great skill level, and we need to bring them into this country to do this particular job because they're they're they've got this special training. I have no problem with that at all. I do have a problem though with using these visas to essentially promote the outsourcing of American jobs and bringing in people not because they have any real special skills, but because they're willing to work for less. Right. Is this economic nationalism? Is this the ugly American? Or is this something that makes a lot of sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 935. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eileen in Milwaukee. Eileen, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well. Thank you for calling. Okay, you've got some well, familiarity firsthand with this. Yes, yes. You know, I do this for a living. I actually work as a paralegal. I've been doing this for about 20 years. Before that, I worked for Senator Herb Cole, and I specialized in immigration issues. So I'm certainly versed in the H-1B visa program. And something that I think is important for all of our listeners to know is this is not a cheap program for employers to endeavor. Um, It is a very sophisticated visa process. And 
there are many steps that are kind of built in the take to kind of prevent, you know, kind of these, you know, what, what, what's easily swiped as these, you know, broad abuses of, of the system. But when we're talking like, of course, state, like Wisconsin, we have lots of employers here who are looking for very highly specialized workers mm-hmm. that need this program because they've tested the U.S. labor market and cannot find a qualified U.S. worker. Well, sure, and, I, and, I th- and that's why I think it would be wrong to end the program. But yeah. at the same time, you would concede with me, for me, wouldn't you, that, that there are a lot of abuses? Because a lot of the people applying for the programs nationally are these staffing companies, and whether yeah. it's... I mean, the numbers I'm seeing, and I think this is a bipartisan issue, Congress acknowledges too, they're finding yeah. examples of thousands, thousands of American tech workers, whether they work at Disney World or the University of California or Manpower here, who are having their employees laid off, not because you're bringing in the, the nuclear physicist, but because you're bringing in people who are willing to work for, for less. So I'm, I'm not arguing ending the program, but... Thousands and thousands of people are losing their jobs, not to more qualified people, but just the people who work cheaper. Well, and to your point, I think a part of that process is conducting what's called a prevailing wage assessment. And you could do that one of two ways. You have to go on. You can either pick a prevailing wage yourself, which means you go and look at the government data for these specific types of jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in this case, it's a lot of software development jobs that have gone more the contractor route because, quite frankly, it's cheaper for employers like, you know, for instance, a manpower to hire uh, contractor workers so they don't necessarily have to pay those benefits. Mm -hmm. The contractor workers, if they're working in Milwaukee, they would still need to be paid the same prevailing wage, if not more, than a U.S. worker. So if the the U.S. government comes back with a prevailing wage assessment, um, at different levels, and there's usually four levels, and depending on what your minimum requirements are for that position, will issue that prevailing wage. Jeff, I can promise you, those wages are not undercutting American workers. Well, but what happens though is they bring, like, what happens though a lot of times is they bring the people in on the visas, they get trained, and then then they get outsourced, they get sent back to to India or wherever. Where I assume I'm the wage. About those things. Pardon me. And I think that's part of, and I'm not, I'm not defending that. I think that's part <laughs> of more of when you're talking about larger global companies and when they think about, you know, they, they're, they're doing their strategy um, and their strategic outlook for the next five to eight years. They're seeing where they can best issue that labor, sure. and if it means that they can farm out software developer positions. Two countries where they can pay those workers less. Yep. That's a travesty because, yes, you know, what happens is, and we've seen probably, you know, the worst case scenario is that a U.S. worker is training um, an H-1B worker yep. to go back to their home country yep. and, and take that job away. However, I think what we see far more of is, I, I think, instead of the bigger companies, let's look at the, the medium companies, and certainly ones right here in southeastern Wisconsin that for this program and for positions like this, mm-hmm. they're having a really difficult time. For those 85,000 visas that are available, 199,000 people applied right. last week for those. Right, and, and I see, and, and I lean, I mean, and thank, right, and, and I appreciate the perspective. Thanks, and that's why I, during the campaign, one of the things that now President Trump was talking about was completely eliminating the program. That makes no sense to me, and, and I'm not advocating that, but and that's not what he's doing now. What, what he is talking about, what I understand that he's going to be doing today, is saying, 
look, we need to focus on what this program is really about. And that's what you were talking about. We need to, this is designed to bring in highly skilled workers from overseas and allow them to to essentially take jobs that we don't have jobs that Americans are trained for right now. And that's, therefore, you know, you supplement the American companies. I I think that makes perfect sense. That's what the program is designed for. What it has become, at least, and I'm not saying for everybody that comes in, but what you have now is you have these staffing companies that are applying for these these visas, and they're not bringing in these incredibly highly skilled people. Matter of fact, they're bringing in people who, in many cases, are arguably less skilled than the Americans who are doing the job. They come in. The Americans then have to train them. Then the job gets shipped back overseas, and the American worker is is out of work. That's what I think he is designed to crack down on. If our conversation was, let's eliminate this whole visa program, I would be with you. I'd be arguing, no, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense. It has a purpose. What Trump is trying to do, at least the way I understand it, is to get to focus the program on what we should be focusing on. Let's, if we're going to use this, let's use it for what it was originally intended for, the people who have skill sets that the American companies need um, that we can't find American workers for. The most highly paid sort of jobs, not the entry-level jobs. Let's bring in a bunch of people from India who are going to be doing like routine um computer software development, and then as soon as the American workers train them, let's ship them back. And the reality is, now, out of the 85,000 people who who came in last year on the visas, I can't tell you how many exactly fit into that category. But Congress, and again, this is a bipartisan thing. There's all sorts of legislation that's being proposed by both Republicans and Democrats. Congress recognizes that there is a problem, and there's all sorts of efforts to try to, again, crack down on what I would say would be abuse of the program in, uh, again, trying to identify who is there to take the American job versus who's there to, to supplement the system. And to me, I mean, I think that's that's what the key ends up being. You don't need to do away with the program, and he's not talking about doing away with the program. It's like let's focus on what the program is really supposed to be all about. And, I, I mean – I'm, I'm sensitive to this manpower thing just because I, I was on this a couple of weeks ago as I was getting emails from people who were losing their jobs and were told, hey, you know, our, you know, manpower comes out and, in my opinion, lies to the public saying, okay, we're doing away with these jobs. No, they're not doing away with the jobs. They're outsourcing them to India and they're bringing in a bunch of people from India and expecting the existing workers to train their replacements who will then go back to India and do the same work for, for less money. That's maybe that makes good sense for the stock price in a global market, but I, and I'm not a protectionist kind of guy, but um, you know, still, I mean, it's it's at some point in time, I think you have to like raise these um, questions. Um, let's see, um, I have an email here. Um, please do not use my name. Okay, I worked at a large retailer in their IT department. I enjoyed working with the Indian workers. They were very nice hardworking people, but for the most part, they did not have the specialized skills not held by American workers. They were here simply because they were willing to work for less, which is, again, again the key. I don't think you need to eliminate this program. You need to get it back to what it was originally supposed to 
B. 943, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 947, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Here the hometown call as the Bucks battle the Raptors in Toronto by being part of our very own WTMJ Bucks playoff watch party. Join us for Game 2 tonight at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners as we cheer on our hometown team with the hometown radio call of Ted Davis echoing throughout the building. There's no better way to watch and listen to the Bucks beat the Raptors again. What a great game on Saturday night. Plus, win some great prizes throughout the game. It's WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party at the Bosch Tavern at Hales Corners. That is tonight at 6 o'clock, sponsored by Lincoln Contractor Supply and Rhino Shield. So, Hondo, if I go to that, do you think I can win some of the prizes? Probably not. That that uh, He says I could try. No, it would be bad for him. No, no. You know, station employees, no, no. I don't, I don't, I don't need whatever we're giving away. You know, we'll, um, I, I will not compete against you. But it sounds like a lot of fun. Matter of fact, I'm... If I can get over there, I will. It sounds like it's uh, a lot of fun. All right. Today is another interesting political day, and a lot of people are going to be watching it with an eye towards, if something happens, does this mean that uh, the Trump presidency is doomed? Does this mean that it's bad news for the Republican Party? Now, this played out, of course, you know, last week you had the, uh, the election in Kansas um, to replace a congressman who ended up, um, going to uh, going to serve in the Trump administration, and there were a lot of people thinking, okay, well, this is a situation where you know maybe the Democrats can pick up a seat. Didn't work out that way, although it was a closer sort of election. All right, in Georgia today, there is a primary election. Um, the the new Tom Price is the congressman. He represents the Atlanta suburbs. This is um this is Newt Gingrich's old district. It is one of the more Republican districts in the country. Republicans have held this seat for, you know, over 30 years. And the sitting congressman who won in November with 61% of the vote, he vacated his seat and he, he took over the job as Health and Human Services Secretary. His name is Tom Price. So today there is a, a primary. And the Democrats have been pouring a ton of money into this race. Um, by last count, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee um, has apparently given the Democratic candidate over $8 million. Eighty percent of the money in this congressional race is coming from out of state. So this has been you know, national Democrats deciding if we can pick up this seat, we're going to be able to get all sorts of momentum. So they're spending over $8 million, and they brought out the Hollywood elites, um, Samuel L. Jackson, um, you know, who's like it, you want to, I, I like Samuel L. Jackson, but you know, it, it doesn't matter. He, he's in good movies. He's in bad movies. You know, he's one doesn't, doesn't matter. He'll just, he'll just do any part that comes along. He's apparently doing, um, ads, um, for, he's doing radio ads and things like that. He's playing the, the race card. Vote for the Democratic Party. Stop Donald Trump, a man who encourages racial and religious discrimination and sexism. You know, we have to channel the great vengeance and fury we have for this administration into votes at the ballot box. So they're putting all this effort in. Now, what is interesting about this primary is it is what they call a jungle primary, which means that you you don't have you, you don't run. You have Republicans, you have Democrats, you have independents, you have everybody on one ballot. 
It's not like we run primaries here in Wisconsin where you have a slate of Republican candidates and you have a slate of Democratic candidates, and whoever wins the primary, they then go on to meet in the general election. That's not how it works for this special election in Atlanta. What happens is that all all the people who run are on one ballot. The race today features 18 candidates, 11 Republicans, five Democrats, and two independents. And they call this the the jungle primary because what happens is if one candidate gets 50% of the vote, that person is automatically elected. There's no, there's no runoff. There's no nothing. If any, if the candidates fail to get, if one candidate fails to get 50% of the vote, what happens then is the top two finishers move on. So Democrats see this as an opportunity because they've got, even though there's multiple Democrats running, there's this one candidate that every, his name is John Ossoff, and he's the beneficiary of all this money. He's like the designated choice. And so the hope is that the Democrats will be able to get out enough votes so that he gets the 50% plus one that you need, so he's automatically elected. And that the Republicans, the five Republicans, split the vote between themselves so that um, you know none of them gets 50%. So that, that's where all this money is going. If, if Ossoff is able to get the 50% plus one, it, it's going to be, again, it'll be the first time in decades that a Democrat will have held this particular seat. And they're, they're using this as an opportunity to campaign against Donald Trump. I don't know the district well enough to have an opinion. I do think that this is the only way that he wins the election would be if he if he comes out, if the Democratic vote is united and the Republican vote is split and people stay home. Because I think if there is a runoff between this guy and a traditional Republican, that the seat will continue to be held in the Republic by Republican hands. But that's it's an election to watch today because, like I say, $8 million thrown into this one congressional seat. And if somehow... The Democratic, the one Democratic candidate who's getting the, all this money, if he somehow gets that 50% plus one, you know that this is going to be a national story. The Republican majority is cracking. People don't support Donald Trump. Look, they lost the seat in Georgia. I think that's an overreach to try to analyze it that way. But that's why this race today is extremely important. Um, if nothing else, if nothing else, it's just because the political chattering class is making it more important and because Democrats have decided to spend $8 million plus million in an effort to get this guy through. Now, the flip side is if they spend all this money and this strategy fails, just like what happened in Kansas last week, this will end up being an epic fail. But I don't think anybody knows for sure how it's going to turn out. Something to watch tonight in addition to the Bucks playoffs. It's 9.54. Hey, we're going to be talking about the continuing controversy involving Donald Trump's refusal to release his tax return. And Facebook finds itself in a lot of trouble. Plus, today is tax day. And we're going to have a discussion about what frustrates you the most about taxes. So stick around. That is all coming up. It's 9.54. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. He is at the forefront of Wisconsin's fight against the ugly opioid epidemic, and tomorrow night 
You'll get a chance to gain insight on the battle he's waging across the state. Attorney General Brad Schimmel is going to join me at the Country Springs Hotel for Insight 2017. It is a topic that hits close to home for many, and it's a night you won't want to miss. A few tickets remain. Get them before they're all gone. Go online to WTMJ.com now to get yours. Yeah, and, of course, one of the stories in the news is we've just had our, our first death from, again, one of these incredibly powerful um, opioid, you know, opiate, new types of opioids that's out there. It's just, it's just, it's a huge problem. And as, as Brad and I will talk about, when I, when I was chasing dope peddlers back in the, you know, 80s and 90s, we didn't see heroin here. The heroin was not a drug that had any degree of prevalence in Wisconsin. It was cocaine. It was crack cocaine. And then it was later on, it was methamphetamine and a couple other things. But you didn't see heroin. What has happened, of course, over time is that, that that has changed. You have these other drugs that are out there now, but um, a lot of people, particularly young people, end up raiding mom and dad's medicine cabinets and getting you know access to some of the prescription drugs that are there. They get hooked. They can't get the pills, and then heroin ends up being a cheaper alternative. Well, the problem with the heroin, there's many problems with heroin, but the problem with the heroin that you're getting now is that you, 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 it's a lot more potent. You don't know what's in it. It's just this is a huge, huge issue, and we're going to go into some, some detail with um, the Attorney General tomorrow night as to what can be done and what signs that parents need to look for and you know where, where the solutions to this are. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, it is tax day. couple tax-related topics, what frustrates you about your taxes. Donald Trump continues to release his. And then Facebook, under a lot of criticism for the type of videos that it is allowing to be posted. That's all coming up. Stick around. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We call the segment Dealer's Choice. Uh, we do this this time every day. I, I consider it to be one of the, not necessarily the biggest topic of the day, but a, a very talkable one. And today it has to do with, with taxes. And I have, a, a, just for maybe one segment, I have an open-ended discussion. Today is tax day. Normally tax day is April 15th, but today because uh, the 15th fell on a weekend, normally it would be that Monday, but Monday was a holiday in D.C., so since it's a holiday in D.C., everybody gets the opportunity to wait until today to file the taxes. Now, if you haven't started your taxes yet, well, my advice would probably be go, go get one of those extension forms and, and, and go from there. And as we talked about yesterday, one of the big – there's been a number of big changes in tax the weight tax filing over, over the years. Um, it used to always be that if you were watching television this evening, every – TV station, every local TV station in all the markets across the country would camp out outside the the big post office in the area. We used to have all the TV stations would set up outside the downtown post office, and you would see the lines of cars. They would have extra people that were on staff just to take the tax returns so people could mail them by you know midnight, get, get them postmarked and all that type of stuff. That does not happen anywhere near as much because – more and more people file electronically. So the, the if, if you're getting a refund, you, you get the refund a lot quicker. If you file electronically, even more quickly. If you give them you know access to your bank account where they can just deposit it in. So th- that's one of the things that has changed. It doesn't change the dynamic, though, that people still have to sit down and fill out their tax returns. And there's a real interesting story in the Chicago Tribune 
and, and it was looking at a couple surveys for people who recognize that the only two certain things in life are our death and taxes. And the question was, and I was intrigued by this because I'm curious as to what your response to this would be. What frustrates you the most about taxes? Um, this is, of course, this is the time, and, and for many of you, I'm sure you filled out your taxes and they're, you, you sent them off in early February and you've got your refund and the refund's already spent. For others, you know, maybe you're a bit of a procrastinator, you know, maybe you, you know, wait to the last minute. But, but it is very intriguing. This is the one time of year when everybody who pays taxes, you know, sits down and starts filling out the forms or assembling the documents to get to your tax preparer or, or whatever. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When you think about the process of taxes, what is it that frustrates you the most? Is it the complexity of the form? Is it the unfairness of the tax system? Is it something else? Is it the fact that you think you're overtaxed? Do you think perhaps that other people are undertaxed? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it the fact that the taxes are too terribly complex? What is it that frustrates you, would you say, the most about the tax system? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I confess, when I was looking at the story in the Chicago Tribune and looking at the polls, I was, I was perhaps a little bit surprised by what... At least the respondents did. But I'm curious, when it comes to taxes, what is the most frustrating thing to you about our taxes and our tax system? thought perhaps it was a timely conversation to have on April 18th, which this year is tax day. We're back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1012, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1014, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. President Trump comes to Wisconsin. What he had to say and how will it impact on your family? John McCure has complete coverage beginning at 3 o'clock during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Be sure to tune in. Yet, if, if you haven't been paying attention, today is, is tax day. It's April 18th this year. And I think it's an interesting opportunity to sit back and we all, or at least almost all of us, have to fill out the tax returns, whether we do it ourselves or whether we do it through a, a tax preparer. Um, what what is the thing that frustrates you the most about taxes? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, on the text line, first person out of the box says, and actually identifies two things that I would agree with. One, if you were asking me, first of all, I think it would be complexity. I just, for the life of me, now I I consider. Look, I, I went as far, pretty much as far as there is to go in school, and. It just always amazed me that at how complex the the tax code has gotten. The, the days of being able to go down to the post office, you know, and pick up you know a couple tax forms and then be able to fill that out for for many of us, especially if you own a home or you live in Wisconsin, where you know you're going to be paying property taxes and you itemize things like that. It, it is amazing to me the complexity. I think. By and large, taxes for many, many people, again, particularly if you itemize, have gotten to the point where the average person really needs to go out and hire a tax preparer to to do this. And I mean, I think, you know, it, when I'm looking at tax reform, anything you can do 
to try to figure out a way to make the taxes and the way we pay taxes more understandable, simpler, I think would be a huge victory. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. I appreciate the time here. Thanks for calling. Uh, I I absolutely agree with you. The complexity of the tax uh, code is just ridiculous. Uh, There are so many loopholes. The uh, big guys can certainly operate and get around many taxes. And and my my solution is very simple. We we go to a sales tax, a universal United States sales tax on Mm -hmm. everything you purchase. For those folks that don't make a lot of money, we give them a swipe card. They have two children and a family. They get $40,000 tax-free. When they hit 40, they start paying taxes. Right. So the idea would be that that everybody everybody pays based on how much they consume. Exactly. Mm-hmm. To, to give you an example, uh, my, my son-in-law's boss, who has some big properties, borrowed $1 million two years ago uh, from one of his properties and paid no tax on $1 because he borrowed it off of one of the properties. Right. And that's what he was spending. So there's all kinds of ways to get around the current code. A, a sales tax is an instant collection. The government never waits for their money. And if, imagine the billions of dollars they collect under the table from all the, uh, whatever it be, drug money or uh, cutting wood or whatever done under the table is all coming back to the government in the form when you spend it, you pay your tax. Right, which would perhaps, right. Everything and it's simple. Right, which would perhaps then uh, allow you to, you know, reduce the overall tax rates and the tax burden. I mean, I think you need to to look at things. And it's interesting. Complexity is, of course, one of the issues. And you actually, Bob, you know, kind of related to that. In this survey that I was looking at that's in Chicago, in the Chicago Tribune, one of the other, the, the number one thing is tax fairness. This belief that corporations and the uber wealthy do not pay their fair share of taxes. Now, again, I, I put fair share in quotation marks because that's a very sort of subjective thing. But I know that there's a lot of people out there who believe that through all the different, and I don't know if it's fair to call them loopholes, but the deductions and all these different types of things that are in the tax code, you have people who are extremely wealthy or who earn a lot of money who are able to avoid paying taxes because they have the ability to, to take advantage of a lot of these things, whereas people who, other people, the average taxpayers, or even, you know, the people who are, again, upper middle class or maybe lower upper class as far as income, they don't have the ability to take advantage of all the different things that are out there. Jacqueline in Eagle. Jacqueline, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um I I just got done preparing my taxes, and we do it on TurboTax. Right. We do it, do it ourselves, and it created 70 pages <laughs> of paperwork between the state and the federal, and um, there is no way in God's creation you could ever do that manually. And right. I, I don't see any sense in it. I'm just a, a retired common uh, <laughs> right. person. So you don't have you don't have a particularly complex set of tax issues that are going on. You're not some like giant you're, you're not some like uh, I, I don't know you don't have all sorts of things going on. It's really a simple straightforward relatively straightforward tax return as a retiree right. and it was 70 pages for federal and state, huh? Well, I have dividends sure. and I have interest, but I had gambling coming in. Sure. I had, and uh, that but other than that, it, it's, right. it's very straightforward. Um, yep. But the, the thing that really killed me was at the end, the 
one of the brokerage firms on Friday sent a revised yep. interest. And that shouldn't even be allowed that they can do that. So oh, I no. Then when you amend it, yeah. then you have to send send it by mail. Right, right. You can't even file electronically. No, I mean, I think... Oh, thank, I, no. I it, had filed electronically. Right, but you have to amend it by mail. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. No, thanks. No, I, I think it, it is that complexity. And, and I do, by the way, Jacqueline, feel your pain because... Actually, this was one of the reasons I'm glad I had an accountant this year because I got some documents from my, my late wife's employer and the accountant said, I think these are wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I think these are, are wrong. And, you know, rather than going ahead and filing, you know, she caught some errors and she contacted my late wife's employer and said, yeah, this is, you know, we have to do an amended one. But if it would just been stupid, Jeff, I would have gotten this original document. I would have, you know, filed based on that. And then I would have been in the same situation that you were in, Jacqueline. So misery kind of loves company in there. I, I do think it is the complexity. And look, I'm not smart enough to know how you how you have to revise the tax code. But I but I do think, I mean, the survey I'm looking at, three out of four taxpayers say the complexity of the tax system frustrates them. And I think that's a factor. I do think there's also an issue with this fundamental tax fairness that is out there. I would also add... Um, they need to do something about the alternative minimum tax. The alternative minimum tax, and I understand that you know this is again for some of the class warriors that are out there. This is this argument that okay, people people who make a bunch of income don't pay their fair share. Well, the problem is the alternative minimum tax was put into place what in the '60s, and it was designed to catch three or four or five thousand super wealthy people who were in fact you know taking advantage of tax loopholes. And, and not arguably paying their fair share. Well, the problem is, as incomes have risen, the alternative minimum tax and the thresholds for that has not kept pace. So now you have a lot of people who are not the super wealthy, but are rather, you know, upper middle class. You know, maybe it's the two, it's the working family where mom and dad are both working. They're both making a decent living, but those were never the people that were intended to get caught up in this whole idea of the alternative minimum tax, and yet now they are being snared in it. So, I mean, I actually think I think the AMT is something that desperately needs reform if you're going to uh, do that. Let's see, just looking at our text line. I get frustrated that I keep track of my charitable donations and business expenses, and I found out it's not worthwhile to do so unless you own your home have a home office that meets certain parameters, and have charitable contributions that meet a certain figure. So in other words, they're keeping track of all this, but probably still not getting enough money for um, you know to deduct. Evan Inokachi says, what bothers me is that there is a discount for being married, basically a penalty for being single. Well, there is kind of a marriage penalty with that. Bottom line is, I think one of the things that one of the things that President Trump and and the Republican Congress needs to do is you, you need to come up with some meaningful form of tax reform. There is a lot of controversy in Washington right now over that. You know, Paul Ryan has a plan which would, in general, lower tax rates for lots of Americans. But in order to pay for that, he's talking about imposing an income tax. That, I think, is dead on arrival in the U.S. Senate. Lots of people have all sorts of different ideas, some of which are very, very good. But unfortunately, there doesn't appear to be a consensus right now. And this is one that I think I, I think I would start with some form of tax simplica- simplification because I think Americans should be able to understand, okay, where the money is going and why they're being taxed. It needs to be simpler 
You need to reform the tax code. It's 1024, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Speaking of taxes, Donald Trump's taxes are not going to be public, and some people aren't happy. Stick around. Nine twenty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Hey, you listen to them every football Sunday, and tomorrow night you get a rare chance to see them live in person together. The Packers broadcast duo of Wayne Larrabee and Larry McCarran sit down with me during Insight twenty seventeen. Do not miss this chance to get some green and gold insight in person. And uh, listen to them tell some war stories. They've got some great ones. Um, we do have a few tickets remaining, so go online, WTMJ.com, purchase yours, and we will see you tomorrow night for Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. Okay, like we were just talking about, today is tax day. Um, over the weekend, there were protests, and there's always protests when it comes to stuff that Donald Trump does, but there were protests in a number of cities, people demanding um, that Donald Trump release his tax returns. During the campaign, then-candidate Trump said that the reason he was not releasing his tax returns, which was a break in tradition. Um, you got to go back to Richard Nixon to find a president um, who, who refused to release the tax returns. But uh, then-candidate Trump said, hey, I'm under audit, and so, I, as everybody knows, I can't release them. Now, that made no sense, because just because you're being audited doesn't mean that you can't Make them public if you chose not to do it. If you chose to do so, he chose not to do it. But the implication was, once this audit is done, I will release the tax returns. Well, um, there's an obscure IRS law, by the way, that says that uh, for a president, your tax returns are automatically audited. So theoretically, um, now that he has become the president, um, any tax return that he files will be subject to an audit that could last, I don't know, a year, two years, however long that's going to. But moreover... You know, President Trump has now said, hey, regardless of what I said on the campaign trail, I'm I'm not releasing my tax returns. And he took to Twitter over the weekend in response to some of these protests demanding that Trump release his tax returns. Um, he took to Twitter and essentially said, I won the election. Um, I am not releasing the tax returns. Uh, actually, I did what was an almost impossible thing to do for a Republican. I easily won the Electoral College. Now tax returns are brought up again, um, actually. So, I mean, he's made it very clear uh, through himself and through his you know, spokespeople that he's, he's not going to release his tax returns. Polls, to the extent you believe polls, show that the majority of people feel that he should release his tax returns. But as far as a voting issue, I mean, as far as what you feel strongly about, um, this is way down the list. I mean, I think people believe that he probably should release his tax returns because this is a break of 40 years of tradition. But as far as, you know, how important an issue is this? Well, this isn't up there with North Korea or Syria or the state of the, the economy. And I think what a lot of what the pollsters are saying is, look, that for the people that don't like Donald Trump, you know, they're not, they're not going to be satisfied. It doesn't matter whether he releases his tax returns or not. They're, they're still not going to like him. So he really has nothing to lose by not releasing his tax returns. I think it would probably be a good thing for him to do it. And as I was arguing in the last segment of the program, I think we need tax reform, and I think it would make it easier to get some form of tax return if he were to release it. But having said that, 
I don't think most people really care about this one way or the other. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it would probably be a good thing if he released his tax returns. He says he's not going to. And candidly, I don't think he's going to pay any political price at all. Is it a big deal to you that he refuses to release his tax returns? And will this hurt him moving forward? Or is this controversy? Are the protests much ado about nothing? It's 1035. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Look, I, I think it would probably be a good thing for President Trump to release his tax returns. But the truth of the matter is, I don't think most people care. The, the, the Trump haters, they're going to continue to hate whatever is in there. Um, it, it doesn't matter one way or the other. People who support the president see this as a non-issue. And I think most people think, given all the stuff that's going on in this country, you know, who really cares at the end of the day? He says he's not going to release them. What do you think? Robert in Milwaukee. Robert, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. The worst reason to do something is just because we've always done it that way. You know, like you, there's lots of things that we don't do anymore that we used to mm-hmm. due to privacy issues and other things like that. The other problem is look at the retaliatory nature of the of the the, the left wing side of the Democratic right. Party going after businesses and things like that. I, I don't blame them for not uh, reporting it. I don't think anybody cares and. Uh, you well, know, the argument, though, it's an issue. the argument, Robert, is, well, if if you, if you saw his tax return, I mean, I remember when when um, the, the guy got a hold of when MSNBC got a hold of the, the, the two page 1995 thing. And Rachel Maddow goes on this, this lengthy rant about, well, you know, we, we we have to see if there's business ties to Russian oligarchs or all that kind of silliness. I mean, is there for the conspiracy theorists out there by looking at the tax returns, could they then disprove I don't know, allegations that he's been getting payoffs from Russian mobsters or something like that? I think you only open open it up to more of that and distract the country and everybody else to a bunch of stuff that doesn't, isn't important and doesn't matter. And, you know, anybody that believes all that, you know, wears a, wears a tinfoil hat. <laughs> right, the, the tinfoil hat. Right, I mean, they, well, right, because you already have to you know, fill out all sorts of conflict of interest statements that list business things. See, here, here's to me. If there is this huge groundswell of this, well, the, the way you solve this is that Congress pass a law. I mean, theoretically, I mean, Congress could pass a law if, if we have this overwhelming agreement that says that once you become elected president, you have to release X number of years of your tax returns or whatever. So you, you could force this legally. But short of that, again, I just don't think people care about this. All right, on our text line, Beth writes, it doesn't matter to me. I have never believed a president should have to give up all his privacy just because he's president. I don't want to know if he has hemorrhoids, and I don't need to so uh, to know his taxes. John in Kenosha writes, let's say for the sake of argument that Trump pays no taxes. So what? He's a rich guy. Rich guys don't pay taxes in America. It's no surprise. What does it change? Um, uh, just get on with it already. Carolyn Menominee Falls say, I could care less about the president's tax return. With all his real estate holdings plus other earnings, I would think his return would be extremely difficult for anyone except a professional tax preparer or an accountant to understand. I have no doubt he paid a lot of taxes. Let's worry about the important stuff. Um, Yes. Now, 
Gary in Houstisford writes that, you know, he, he heard that there is a movement in U.S. Congress to vote against tax reform until Trump releases his personal returns. That is, that's the issue because th- there is going to be this argument that, well, you know, it, it, maybe he's going to be, um, he wants to get rid of the alternative minimum tax. Well, we know back in 1995, he took advantage of that. So maybe this is like self-dealing or self-interest. Well, okay, you need to get rid of the alternative minimum tax because it unfairly targets upper lower upper class or upper middle class people that it was never intended to. Steve in Brookfield. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Steve. Take my call. Sure. Do you care if he doesn't release his taxes? No, I, I really don't care what he earned prior to becoming president. Um, I think most of those those protesters are actually being paid, and mm-hmm. they just want to see what a tax form actually looks like. Right, for, uh, for no purpose. I mean, for, I mean, for, for no purpose. Remember, again, that MSNBC thing, when they get a hold of the 1995 tax return, it's touted for like 20 minutes about, oh, what could this be? And then it turns out to be a nothing burger. He made a bunch of money. He paid a bunch of taxes. You know, go figure. Right. What I would rather see is the current taxes of the people that go into Congress and they turn into multimillionaires. I'd love to see <laughs> how they go in and make that money. Yeah. Yeah, I see. I think, I mean, thanks, thanks for calling. I mean, see, in, in many respects, I, I think you can, if the concern is conflict of interest stuff, and again, you, you have, this is what's lost on so many people that are pushing the tax return disclosure drum. I mean, you, there's all sorts of disclosures that you have to make when you are elected to federal office. Um, and, and not only do you have to estimate your, you know, your net worth, but there's all sorts of disclosures, you know, stocks type of stuff like that, you know, business contacts. If, if the concern is that there is a conflict of interest or something, um, okay, just, just, just you can tighten up the, those rules. But I do think it's a matter of privacy. I, I mean, I, I don't know. My theory as to why President Trump isn't releasing his tax returns is that because of, because of legitimate deductions or credits or whatever, he's probably paid very little in taxes over you know a, a several year period, at least on his on his personal income tax return. I have no doubt that there's no no criminal things going on because I got to believe Donald Trump is constantly under various audits. And if there was a belief that he was doing something wrong, you would have heard about that. Do I think it would probably be good? Yes. Do I think it's a voting issue? No. Do I think people care? No. And and the truth of the matter is, the president is right, that it's not going to satisfy anybody. You could release the tax returns, and next week, the same protesters who were out in the streets across this country screaming on Saturday about, well, he's not releasing his tax returns, all those same people would be out on whatever the next issue du jour would be. So, you know, the, the haters are going to hate. It's not going to make that go away. This is just the, the lightning rod particular issue. Controversy involving Facebook. One of the most difficult things that I have found as, as you know, hosting a, a radio show for as long as I've hosted a radio show is what happens when you deal with breaking news. You know, you get the story that there is there's a school shooting in X place or or there's this going on or, or whatever. And and there's always what we call the fog of war, you know, the, the initial reports that turn out to be many times inaccurate. And it's always very difficult to know what what is appropriate to talk about, what is accurate to talk about. And I, I don't have too many regrets about things, you know, shows I've done over 20 years. But, you know, you, you can always learn from stuff. And I think back, particularly when I was starting out, if I had to identify a couple things, it might be, 
well, maybe maybe it was just too soon. There was this breaking news story. Maybe I should have waited to let it develop instead of, of talking about it. That that's that's always the battle you have with breaking news. All right. When it comes to television, there are and, and radio, there are there are controls. You know, if you've got a, a breaking news story that involves, say, say violence, that you've got a all right, you've you've got a, a standoff. You know, even if TV cameras are on the scene, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to put, you know, a, a gun battle, for example, on on live television. You know, you have you have producers, you have news directors, you have people that are making the decisions as to what is appropriate to show and what is not to app- appropriate to show. You have those controls. When it comes to the internet and social media, there are in fact no controls, and or very few controls. And it turns out to be the Wild West. Now, here's let's talk about Facebook. Everybody, you know, knows Facebook. Can I see a show of hands? Everybody that's got their own Facebook page. Well, Facebook, which is the world's largest social network, and and they make money by selling advertising. And one of the things that they have moved into over the last couple years is they have moved into more and more live video, encouraging Facebook users to post live video. And they believe that by having people post live video, what that does is it gives people more incentive to go to Facebook and and watch things. Therefore, it gives them more eyeballs. Therefore, it lets them become more attractive to advertisers. So there is this incentive, move to live video. The problem is, unlike like at a TV news station, where you have somebody who's saying, okay, this is a breaking event. This is a live event. You know, should we be covering this? Should we be putting this on TV? When it comes to the Internet, there's not those controls. So let me just, this is the way the New York Times tells this story. On Easter Sunday, Steve Stevens drove around downtown Cleveland on what he said was a mission to commit murder. And soon he had an audience of millions for his shooting of Robert Godwin Sr., well, 74, which Stevens recorded and posted on Facebook. On Monday, authorities continue to be looking nationwide for the guy. Now Facebook is posting, is facing a backlash on the shooting video. Um, what happened is the guy posts, posts the murder. Uh, he takes a video of what he did and he posts it on social media. It took Facebook over two hours to pull the video down. But even after they posted it, and even after the video was down, by then it had been shared by millions of people. So even though it wasn't available on Facebook, it had been disseminated to all sorts of people. The grandson of the 74-year-old man who was murdered pleaded with other users on social media to stop sharing the video online. He writes, Please, please, please stop retweeting that video and report anyone who has posted. This is my grandfather. Show some respect. Um, f- Facebook, and matter of fact, I understand there's a breaking news story coming up on that. But, I mean, Facebook says, look, we, we don't want to arbitrate, you know, what, what's posted on our site. But, so we want to put this up there, but we're trying to have some standards. Really, really bad behavior. And these live platforms like Facebook, and look, we use Facebook Live. You know, we'll we'll have we we live stream our our pop culture. 
we have our, our pop culture corner and things like that. And the reports are that the murderer, the alleged murderer, they've discovered him and he's dead. He's deceased, killed himself. That's the report. We'll have an update on that. But, you know, he's been a fugitive since then. But this is the guy that posts the video. Now, my larger point is that, you know, I mean, I appreciate the live stream on Facebook. We, we do that. We have my pop culture corner. We have my week in review. We live stream it. But what's happening is more and more people who are committing crimes or seeking attention or whatever um, for, for acts of violence, they're using these features, and Facebook is apparently doing a lousy job of catching it if a murder vid- video is allowed to be up there for two hours. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, th- this is the Wild West of the Internet. There- there's no question about it. And, you know, Facebook, in some respects, is between a rock and a hard place. We want to have the live streaming because that's what people want to see. We That's what advertisers want. It gets more eyeballs. But what do you do when you ha- now have, you know, people who are posting murder videos? And is the fact that you can now post these videos, these examples of violence, th- does that make people perhaps more likely to do it, the attention seekers? And does Facebook have an obligation to be more vigilant. I mean, my God, you would think that somebody would have been able to recognize when this thing was getting all the traffic that you've got a murder video that's up for two hours. Does this Facebook need to be more vigilant in monitoring this stuff, or is this just where we are in 2017? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I personally think it is appalling that this murder video was up for two hours before they took it down. Two minutes would have been too soon. What do you think? It's 10.53. We discuss next. I'm Jeff Wagner. It's 10.57. We're talking about that. That Facebook video was up for a couple hours. It was shared by millions of people. And now a lot of people, myself included, are saying, what do you know what is going on with Facebook that you allow, look, these these type of videos to be up there. And it's more and more, it, this is a trend that is emerging where you have more and more of these crazy people who are engaging these acts of violence, and they want the attention, and now they're getting it through these social media sites like Facebook without any controls that you have in the traditional media. There is no way, for example, any reputable television station would have been airing footage of this type of murder. Diana in Racine. Diana, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about myself as well as several other of my other friends have made um, posts and live videos about, con- you know, conservative issues and how we feel about the transgender issues mm-hmm. in that recent Dove commercial. And within minutes, our our live feeds and our posts were removed. Within and minutes. Some of, us, some of us were even blocked from Facebook for 24 hours, even within minutes. <laughs> with, so I don't understand why it would take so long for them to remove something. Well, well, right, exactly, and and this is not the first time, Diana. This has happened. No, no thanks for the call. No, and I, I, I mean, I, and here, here's the thing. Look, I, I think Facebook Live is a great thing, and again, there's an economic incentive for them to do that. But more and more of these crazy people are deciding this is their way to get their 15 minutes of fame, and Facebook is offering it. It is Facebook is being criticized for not jumping on this. Maybe you can't stop the person from posting it, but you can sure as heck take it down after 30 seconds or a minute, not leave it up for two hours. Shame on you, Mark Zuckerberg. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1112, Jeff Wagner, 620. Glad to have you with us. And just uh, bootstrapping on what Jane was saying, um, we, we will... 
we'll be rolling on a news conference that they're holding in Cleveland, and we'll, we'll bring you some clips of that as appropriate later on during our news coverage. Secondly, as James was also mentioning, Insight 2017 is tomorrow night, and there's been like this late we, – we have a few tickets left, and there's been this like late rush of people saying, I've been hearing we talk about it. Um, so people are buying tickets this morning. Um, there's a handful left. WTMJ.com. It's going to be an absolutely great lineup, and looking forward to seeing people out there tomorrow night. So um, you still have a chance while we still have a few tickets left. WTMJ.com and hope to see you tomorrow evening. It is an absolutely outstanding lineup. Just a couple final thoughts. Our WTMJ text line kind of exploded with people reacting to Facebook. And uh, look, I, I, I think social media is great, but it's it's the Wild West. And with the advent of live streaming, and I think, and I look, I get it. Facebook, they want people to do this. And advertisers want people to do this. Therefore, Facebook wants people to use live streaming. But unfortunately, you've now created this market where you have, you know, for everybody who, you know, wants to post the videos of, you know, them and their kids walking around San Francisco, you, you have, you know, a handful of these psychos who recognize that this social media is the way that they can, you know, act out their deepest, darkest criminal behavior and then, you know, get their 15 minutes of fame. That's why you had this this Facebook killer. And, you know, I mean, I do think, just like in the mainstream media, and I'm not talking about the Internet police, but, I mean, Facebook, as we've heard from some of the callers, Facebook polices its content. Facebook is very aggressive. You know, the caller before the break, Diana, was talking about, hey, she posted some conservative stuff, which some people found to be offensive, and two, two minutes later, it's taken down. How in the name of God... Can you leave a snuff video up for two hours? What is going on with Facebook? And a couple thoughts to that point on our WTMJ text line. Completely agree with you regarding Facebook. The sad thing is how many people watched and did nothing or didn't call the police. You hear story after story of people witnessing things firsthand, and instead of helping, they get their phone out and they take a picture or a video for a download. That's Chris. And, you know, Chris, she makes a very good point. I mean, again, the, the larger point is, too, all right, if you, you've, got a vict- you've got a video that some psycho has taken of him murdering a 74-year-old man, all right, and, and your reaction is, hey, look at this. Let me share it with all my friends. And, you know, it's Facebook's problem for leaving it up, but it also says something about the people who, well, the people who decided, um, you know, that, that they thought that this was an appropriate thing to share. Um, another text, same goes for all the videos showing people brutally be- beaten. I've reported numerous disgusting, violent videos, and the response of Facebook is, it doesn't go against our policies. Well, shame on Facebook. It doesn't go against your policies because apparently you, number one, have no standards, and number two, you're out there trying to make money. And the idea is, hey, if we can get people to watch this, no matter how disgusting it is or how violent or how much criminal behavior it is, you know, we can get more people looking at this, and that means we can charge higher rates to our advertisers. Well, You would think that social media companies like Facebook would have more social responsibility than they are apparently showing. It's 1123, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Look, here is the reality. If the Common Council continues to say no to a downtown strip club, there's going to be more lawsuits, and the city is going to lose. The city's already lost over a million dollars for wrongfully refusing to allow one to open up. Uh, to continue to do this is to just invite more litigation that you will lose. The owners of the club are looking at, at going in essentially on Old World 3rd Street, a block to the north of Wisconsin Avenue in the, the site of what was an old bar. 
The city has every right to say, okay, we're going to have restrictions here. We're going to, and, and you know, they'll be all over it. We're not going to allow loitering outside the club. We're not going to allow, we're going to be monitoring this for drug use or for prostitution or those type of things. Um, so you have every right to do that, just like you have the right to do it with every bar. But this notion that, oh, if we put one of these type of clubs here, it's going to suddenly hurt our efforts to develop Grand Avenue. Give me a break. I mean, I mean, seriously, Grand Avenue has been a ghost town for the better part of 15 or 20 years. This notion that, gee, we're going to put a place like that there that is going to cater to, I don't know, people who come in for the conventions and are patronizing the downtown hotels, that this notion that we're going to do that, that to me, it's just, it is just completely and totally ridiculous. And the fact that you do have other places, including you've got that Arts Performing Center, which has been there forever, in that downtown area, and that hasn't stopped, I mean, that hasn't stopped development. Um, they're up on Juno. That hasn't stopped development, you know, in, in that area, um, like the new uh, modern, you know, high-rise and the Aloft Hotel. I mean, it, it's just this notion that, okay, this business is suddenly, we're going to turn this whole area into a red-light district is just absurd to me in the extreme. Moreover, if you don't do it, you're just going to get lawsuit after lawsuit. So how much of this stuff are the city of Milwaukee going to you know put up with? Now, they delayed this vote because the argument was, well, we want to give the uh, Westtown Business Association time to see if they can find another location. Look, that's just silly. They've had years to do this, and the, the owners want to be in the shadow of the convention center because they recognize that that's an area where they're going to be able to attract sort of business. The, the business. I'm not endorsing going to adult clubs. I'm, I'm not at all. But the reality is people want to do that. That is a business model that I think could succeed because it supplies, again, this form of entertainment that some people want. And as long as it's well run and you have every right to say, okay, well, you know, we're not going to have people pole dancing in the windows and stuff like that. You know, you, you black out the windows, you do whatever. I think the idea of a high-end place where you're undoubtedly going to be charging a cover charge to get in or whatever, um, that's to me that is a compliment that offers, a, again, a form of entertainment. And you can disagree with the entertainment, but a form of entertainment that some people who are coming you know, for the conventions want. My guess is you're not going to get a lot of local business traffic for that. My guess is a lot of the people that choose to patronize those type of places aren't going to be going to that one. They're going to be going to some of the existing ones that are around the area. But this notion that we can try to keep this place out of downtown, if you continue doing it, memo to the people on the Common Council, all you're going to be doing is losing lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. So why not just recognize it? And again, you, you have every right to make sure it doesn't turn into a red light district, and you have every right to say, okay, we're going to limit the number or whatever, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised that the results aren't different is the definition of insanity. And if you keep saying no, all you're going to do is invite further lawsuits. Let it go. Let it establish. Monitor it. If it turns out to be a public nuisance, then close it down. But like I said earlier, my guess is you're going to have a lot fewer problems at a place like this um, than you would with and some of the other clubs that have been in that immediate area. It's 1120 HF Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
1136, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, how do you get Paul McCartney or the Stones to play your stage? What's the key to convincing some of the most famous musical acts in history to come to your town? We pull the curtain back on the secrets of Summerfest when Don Smiley and Bob Babish join me at Insight 2017 tomorrow night. Only a couple tickets remain. Matter of fact, lots of people are buying them today. Why did you wait to the last minute? Um, get them before they're gone. Don't wait any longer. Head to WTMJ.com today to buy yours, and I will see you tomorrow night at the Country Springs Hotel. It is a great lineup. Hey, a quick update on something we talked about earlier here. Um, th- there is there's a primary election going on in, in Georgia. This is, it is a Republican seat. It's the suburbs around Atlanta. It's Newt Gingrich's old seat. It has been a Republican stronghold since, well, for about 30 years. I, I don't know that the district is quite as Republican as, say, Jim Sensenbrenner's district is, but but close. Um, the last congressman, when he uh, Tom Price, when he won in November, he won with 61% of the vote. So it's a solidly Republican district. Tom Price, the sitting congressman, resigned the seat to become the Secretary of Health and Human Services. So there's a vacancy. There is a primary today, and the, the Democratic Party is all in. They've spent over $8 million trying to push one particular candidate. There's a 30-year-old, 30-year-old guy named Joe Ossoff, who's supposedly a rising star in the Democratic Party. The way these primaries work is they're what, in, in Atlanta, for the special elections, it is what is called a, a quote-unquote, a jungle primary which means unlike here in Wisconsin where you have a Republican primary and a Democratic primary and then the winners go on to meet each other in a general election, what they do in these jungle primaries is they put everybody's name on the ballot. There's just one ballot. There's like 18 names. There's 11 Republicans, five Democrats, and two independents. And what happens is if one candidate gets 50% of the vote plus one, they automatically win the seat. Um, otherwise, the top two vote-getters move on. So the Democrats ha- have gone all in, and this $8 million is essentially being spent to try to elect this Ossoff guy. And the hope is that they can get him through today, that he can get 50% of the vote plus one, because it's going to be so splintered between all the other candidates. Um, if, if actually, if a Republican... If a Republican emerges, even though the Republican would probably run behind him in a in a in the final election, they figure the Republican will win. So this is the Democrats' efforts to try to take this seat. And then, of course, trust me, if that happens tonight, you're going to hear one story after another about how the GOP agenda is dead and all these different things. So I mean, they're putting a ton of money into this race in an effort to try to to win it tonight. Well, the the interesting thing that's now emerging is an issue. Is this this rising star, the guy who's running in this district, doesn't even live in the district. Does doesn't even live in the district. Apparently he lives in the next district over with his girlfriend who's going to medical school or whatever. And he says, Well, once I win, I'll I'll move into the district. But it, it, look, I understand that you know there, there's you, you don't have to live in a particular district to run in the district. It is interesting to me though that if if this is the seat that you are going to focus national attention on, that you can't even find a candidate who resides in the district at the time they're going to run. I don't know what's going to happen. My gut tells me 
the guy's not going to get 50%. He probably will win because there'll be a consolidation. Um, he'll win tonight and then probably go on to lose in the, the final election. But um, just he doesn't even live in the district. Okay. Arkansas has been in the forefront of the debate on capital punishment. Arkansas has a our Arkansas puts people to death by the use of lethal injection. They have a drug that they use. And and one of the issues that's going on is it's very it's, it's now difficult, more difficult to get these lethal injection drugs because th- some of them aren't being produced anymore. Arkansas has a drug that they have used. Arkansas hasn't executed anybody, I want to say, since 2005. They have eight people who are scheduled to be executed. They have a supply of this drug, which has been approved, but it is going to be expiring. So they've had people that are sitting on death row since 1992, and so they've scheduled a series of of executions, and they want to do it before these the drug expires, and then that creates all sorts of other issues. So over the course of the next couple of weeks, they had all these executions scheduled. Well, first, a federal judge blocked them. That federal judge was then overruled. Then the Arkansas Supreme Court yesterday, on a vote of four to three, they blocked the executions. The matter went to the United States Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court today said, well, we're not going to get we're not going to get involved. We're not going to overturn the ruling of the state Supreme Court. Um, blocking these executions, at least for the time being. The effect of this is all these executions are put on hold, means that at best they have to be scheduled another 30 days from now, but that's after the drug expires. So it appears that, um, again, for some of these people who have been through the appeals process, in some cases for more than 20 years, their executions, again, are not going to happen. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There are those who would argue that we are a civilized country and that no civilized country uses the death penalty and that we need to eliminate the death penalty and we need to simply say life in prison without parole as an alternative. I know you might disagree with me on this, but I do not buy that. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think people convicted of the most heinous crimes. And I don't know if the death penalty is a deterrent or not. I think in many cases it's probably not. People who engage in, you know, you're going to go out and kill somebody, you don't think, oh, gee, am I going to be put to death as opposed to, you know, serving life in prison without parole. I don't know that it's a deterrent. But it doesn't matter to me whether it's a deterrent or not. I think for the most heinous criminals, society has a right to say there is a certain punishment. And for, again, the most heinous situations, I think that punishment can include and should include the death penalty. I also believe that it is important. Justice delayed is justice denied. Okay, you've got a guy in Arkansas who's been on death row since 1992. I mean, seriously, um, to the extent that there's any deterrent, you know, having somebody sit on death row for 25 years, I believe people are entitled to you know full legal access Get the appeals, get them decided, make them a priority. But at some point in time, enough is enough. And, you know, if you're going to engage in the most heinous crimes, I think you deserve to be accountable. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
Tell you what, we'll be back with your calls in just a second. If you're on the line, hold on. 1143, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1147, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's start with Clint in Bayview. Clint, good afternoon. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay. Is, is it time to do away with the death penalty once and for all? Uh, I actually support it. Um, I think, you know, for the worst case offenders, sure. uh, just the most heinous crimes, I don't think that we need to be spending our tax dollars on feeding these people three times a day and housing them uh, for the rest of their lives when they are not able to be rehabilitated. Um, I I do believe in rehabilitation um, for a majority of criminals. People just make bad decisions. But uh, for some people, when rehabilitation isn't an option, I... It just comes down to economics. You know, why are we paying to keep them alive when they cannot safely be in society? Yeah, they're, they're never they're right. The reality is they are never going to be released because of the. the I mean, let, let's take let's take an extreme example, Clint. No, Charles Manson. I mean, you're, right. tell me, is the world a better place because you know Charles Manson has been you know allowed to be living in a, a prison and getting his three meals a day and access to you know cable TV and getting love letters from people all over the country you know psychotic women who you know are attracted to him I mean has the world been a better place since Charles Manson has been able to live at the expense of the taxpayers of California since 1970 and my answer would be no <laughs> right yeah I agree and that's actually a good point too you know for someone like the Charles Manson, you know, keeping him alive, you're keeping this kind of cult interest alive, yeah. which may, in fact, be, you know, continuing uh, a dangerous situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and again, I, look, and I, I think, I think that you need, if you're going to have the death penalty, and, and actually, chances nowadays, because of, of the advances in DNA thing, I, I think somebody... You, you want to do everything you possibly can to make sure that somebody who did not commit the crime is not put to death. And that's why I think you need to have every possible appeal that is available. Um, you know, you have to fast track it. You have to allow this to be completely examined. If there are any questions at all as to whether or not somebody is guilty or not, well, then, I, I mean, I think it is more than legitimate to say, you know, we're, we're going to hold off until we have resolved this to make sure, for example, a jury got it right. But in many of the cases of the people who are sitting on death row, guilt is not an issue. I was just reading a couple of these case studies in Arkansas. Among the eight people who were sentenced to death, many of them admit it. It's not a question that they say, yes, I mean, there was one guy, yes, I I came in, I regret it, I shot this man in cold blood. If they would have executed me two days later, I would have felt that I deserved it. I mean, so guilt is not an issue. Let's put that aside, and I appreciate you've got to have all the safeguards you need to make sure that you're not executing an innocent person. But but if that person is, in fact, guilty, if there's no question about that person's guilt, I mean, does society, in certain cases, have the right to say that we want the, the ultimate punishment? Um, let's talk to Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? I don't wasn't sure if I was on. You're on. You know, I'm, I'm all totally for it. But the thing is, is our, our our system is so behind the times. I mean, when it takes 20 years, I mean, look at the amount of money yep. we spend. What we need to do is revamp our system, get rid of, you know, and make something strong. Hard labor. Take away all the books. You know, a prison is a prison. 
You know, they they have so many rights. Huh. It's like they commit things over and over. They come back and it's a slap and tickle. Hello, how are you? I, you know, I, I was... And it's like a brotherhood, you know? I was talking to... Jeff, thanks for the call. I, I was talking to somebody a while back who... Um, I, they didn't run the prison system, but but it worked in the prison system for years. And was saying to me, well, Jeff, you don't understand. We don't send people to prison for punishment. We send people to prison as punishment. So in other words, the, the fact that your your freedom is taken away, that in and of itself is supposed to be the punishment. So as a result, you know, once you get to prison, well, we want to make sure that your prison experience is as well, I don't want to say comfortable. That's not the right word. But we don't want it to be overly harsh. So, you know, you shoot somebody in the face and get sentenced to 25 years in prison. Well, okay, I mean, the, the punishment is being taken out of society. That's the thinking. So, you know, we, we want to give you access to all this different stuff. And, and in some cases, just in order to control inmates, that's what they have to do. Um, I would not want to be a prison guard. I would not want to be a prison warden. I would not want to be a prison administrator. And I sure as you know what, wouldn't want to be in prison myself. But at the same time, I, I do think, especially when you look at now, there's some prisons I would not say this about, but you look at other prisons and uh, it's people adjust to that. And I am not arguing for bringing back corporal punishment or things like that. But at the same time, for the worst of the worst, and I'm talking about the worst of the worst, I think the death penalty remains vital. And this idea that, well, we're squeamish about it or a civilized society doesn't do that. Well, okay, a, a civilized society doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily faced with some of the violent, hardcore criminals. And again, I understand that everybody on death row isn't Charles Manson. But really ask yourself the question, you know, have we been better off that we've had some of these serial killers who or, you know, serial killer organizers or whatever who've been sitting on death row for 30 or 40 years, who've had life in prison without parole? I mean, really, are, are we better off because Charles Manson has been allowed to live given the crimes that he committed, you know, for the last 40 plus years? It is 1154. Um, we're going to find out what Steve Scafidi has on his mind in just a couple of minutes. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. 1156, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Well, I'm spending my afternoon sitting down um, with a notepad, making out uh, the outline of questions for Insight 2017 tomorrow night. A couple of tickets still available. Steve Scafidi, I, I think I might heighten the process. I, I think there, I think uh, maybe there'll be a beer or two involved, too, as I kind of th- go through that question list. Well, I hope so. I'll be there, and uh, <laughs> we're looking forward to that. Uh, you got some great guests. Yeah. Uh, I'm as much as I love the governor, I, I'm really looking forward to to Wayne and uh, oh, Wayne and Larry. Larry yeah, yeah, just talking Packers because we're getting close to the draft, so that's right. going to be and Babbage and about. Smiley. I mean, summer fat. That Bob Babbage, just he has stories, and we're going to try to get him to tell some of those stories. Um, you got a big show coming up. I know uh, the president's going to be in town, and that's during your watch. Yeah, President Trump set to speak in Kenosha this afternoon. We're going to carry that live, uh, hopefully to be within our show. They're expecting around two twenty, two thirty. Our own Mike Spaulding is in Kenosha, so we'll certainly get some sound from that. And the big story that happened just before, uh, at the end of your show and before our show, the, the uh, manhunt ended for the Cleveland Facebook killer, as they call him. Law enforcement was chasing him or, or was tracking him, ended up shooting himself, self-inflicted gunshot wound. That that ends that manhunt and puts a lot of people's uh, minds at ease in uh, in that area. In this case, Erie, Pennsylvania, but of course from Cleveland. 
Well, of course, the larger question, too, is the whole thing on Facebook, that this thing, I mean, he, the guy films it, and it stays on Facebook for a couple hours, and it's shared by millions of people? Yeah, we're going to talk about that, actually, in, uh, in, in the show, because there's th- certain things that Facebook can do and certain things they can't do. Right now, they're saying they can, they can kind of get it done in about two hours, remove offensive video. Whether that's the case or not, or they can do more, we'll see. Is there, is there potential penalties for people that pro, uh, post criminal activity on Facebook? All that's going to be decided. All that's coming up next on Speedy and Bill We're going to have a, uh, a big show, lots going on. Anytime you have the president in Wisconsin, that's a big deal. All that's coming up next. Steve and Scott on Speedy and Bill